Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan, and I am delighted to discover, to discover the secrets of successful real estate investing through the eyes of an investor and mortgage agent. Jacob Perez is a real estate investor and mortgage agent in Canada. He started investing in real estate at 23 years of age in Hamilton, Ontario. And since then, he has built a portfolio worth close to $10 million, consisting of 40 plus doors. So Jacob, take us into the show by sharing a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. I think probably, you know, there's a lot of experiences, probably experiences that I don't really remember that are lodged in the psyche, right? From growing up, I think that's uh, how all the trauma builds. I think we're very sensitive when we're young, but I think, you know, when it comes to the drive to do these different types of entrepreneurial ventures, whether it's investing in real estate, you know, picking up different hot side hustles or starting a business, I think it really comes from my uh, parental upbringing. So I came from an immigrant family. So my dad, my uncle, they were always opening different businesses. You know, they owned everything from restaurants to clothing lines to baby product manufacturing a whole host of different products you know whatever they could put together that can make money so that was always the norm in my world you know all my cousins and extended family everybody was some kind of entrepreneur so for me you know that was a normal thing to do versus getting you know a nine to five job a pension and staying at a company a long time or maybe being like these good positions like doctor lawyer that was never in the cards it was always entrepreneur path right so I think those that kind of exposure really kind of led me down this path. Well, that is kind of an unusual background, but certainly a good background for uh, being an entrepreneur yourself. Not many of us have that background that, I mean, we kind of have to fill our way by ourselves. So it's kind of neat that you've got that background. And it certainly has served you well. Uh, Well, take us into real estate here by giving us some background on millennials and their buying trends in terms of real estate. Well, I think millennials and and now really this next generation, the Generation Z, Generation Z, whatever they call it, I think there's a lot more access to information than any generation had prior. So nowadays, you can read a book, but also just as easily look up the author online, probably find yourself in a conversation with the author if they're not too large of a figure and things like that. So I think we're living in a time where there's unprecedented access to information and unprecedented access to network. So you don't have to come from an area or have friends who are well connected. You could really make yourself well connected, and that's really a trend that a lot of these millennials are taking on. You know, they're they're more you know willing to join those types of coaching programs and, and network and these online groups where they can meet different people. But what you're finding is that you know there's one cohort of the population saying, especially up here in Canada and Ontario where I am, where it's very expensive, where they're saying, hey, you know, it's so expensive, it's impossible to buy a house. Then you have these other kids who are 20 years old who are learning how to reverse engineer the mortgage qualifying process, how to use different investing strategies to invest with no money down. And they're building portfolios of millions of dollars of real estate in their early 20s. Right. So it's really kind of what mindset you want to have and what stream information you're going to kind of take in and, and run with. But I think the main thing is reverse engineering the mortgage process. One thing we teach a lot of our clients because I am a mortgage agent myself is what are the actual rental metrics you can get in an investment property where that property actually doesn't impact your borrowing power. 
So can we get enough rental income where I can effectively continue to buy my maximum purchase price over and over again? So I think those are some of the strategies we're seeing people jump on. But I think definitely the appetite for information is bigger than ever. And you know, I think right now, in addition, we're seeing this new trend where the cool people in our society are becoming the entrepreneurs. The entrepreneurs are the rock stars, the Gary Vaynerchuks and the Grant Cardones and all these kind of people. Whereas I think in my generation, I'm probably one of the older millennials. It was more so the rappers, the this, you know, these people where you couldn't really follow their path that easily, right? So I think you know, there's a there's a culture fit where the entrepreneurs are the new rock stars, and I think that's leading people down maybe a better path than they were led down before. Well, can you give us an example of what it is that you mean by reverse engineer a mortgage? When I say that, right, I'm going to speak a little bit to some metrics that exist with some banks in Canada, right? So this might not be perfectly relevant with the people who are listening in the US, but they can take the same philosophy, speak with their loan officer and get these same metrics to then go follow. So one thing that I teach all my clients is a metric where if your rental income is double your monthly mortgage payment, then that is effectively a zero impact property. So it's a property that has zero impact on your future borrowing power. So when people are looking to buy, they say, you know, that's a pretty good deal. But know what? If I buy this deal, I can continue to buy more property. Whereas this property over here may appreciate more. This property here is going to keep my borrowing power larger and allow me to kind of go a little bit further in building a portfolio. So that would be one way of reverse engineering the process. Another way might be this BRRRR strategy. So I'm not sure if a lot of people on your show have talked about this BRRR, the BRRRR strategy. What it means is you know, buy, renovate, rent, refinance. So if you know how much a bank is willing to lend based on the valuation of the property, you could then reverse engineer you know, what type of value increase do I need to make through renovation in order to get all my capital invested in back. So there's a combination, there's a way to recycle your money, but then there's a way to maintain your optimal borrowing power through that process as well. Well, interesting. Are you finding properties in Ontario that the rents are twice the mortgage? Definitely in the smaller markets. You know, there's two versions, right? Are the properties twice the mortgage size when you buy it? So turnkey, or are they twice that when there's some type of value add? You know, maybe it was a single family that we converted to a triplex, we converted to a four unit property, right? So usually, the larger the challenge, the larger the upside. So if you're taking on one of these conversion projects, you might see a larger upside in some of these things. But there definitely are markets where you can get rental income like that, especially because the interest rates in Canada are so low right now. You know, we have people borrowing under two percent even in a lot of cases, right? So you know, but it would be in these smaller markets. It's not going to be in your Toronto or just outside Toronto, which in Canada we call GTA. Pretty much anything half hour outside of Toronto. But if you're going further out in some of these smaller towns where the rental income is still very stable, the vacancy is still very low, you'll see that does exist. And you know that's where with my personal investment strategy, I own half my portfolio in the GTA, and then I own half of it in these smaller markets where you'll get those larger cash flow positions. In the United States, anything under four units is generally considered uh, residential and five and above would be commercial lending opportunities. Is that pretty much the same in Canada or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much the exact same. There are some niche banks who do five or six unit in the residential channel, right? There's also borrowers who take advantage of commercial lending for those four units and less as well. So they say, hey, I don't have a job that really qualifies me, but this property is very stable. Let me take this three or four unit over to the commercial side at slightly higher rates, but at least I can get the financing for it. So it kind of goes both ways, but yeah, very similar. Well, talk to us a little bit more about how to maximize the purchasing power. I think you've explained that a little bit by reverse engineering, but take us a little bit deeper into that. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you can do to reverse or to maximize your borrowing power, right? So there's a lot of personal things, you know, whether you're self-employed, it's claiming a lot of income personally versus netting down your income very low and telling the bank that you actually make less than you do, right? But there's little tricks, you know, there's a lot of conventional wisdom or conventional things that you think are smart that don't necessarily assist you with borrowing. So you might be one of these people who say, hey, you know, I have this primary residence and I want to pay it down as fast as possible. So I want to go on a 20-year amortization versus a 30. And I want to do take advantage of my prepayment privileges and increase my payments and go on bi-weekly and all these different things to pay down the mortgage faster. Well, in Canada, I'm sure it's relatively similar in the US is that the qualifying is based on monthly income versus monthly expenses. So if you can get your monthly expenses lower, then you can essentially borrow more. So what you want to do is you want to have all your debts on the longest payment schedule as possible. So if you're one of these people where you want to pay down your mortgage as fast as possible, you know you can still take advantage of your prepayments to pay it down faster, but you want to keep your amortizations as long as possible to keep your payments low so you're in a position to continue to borrow. right? And especially with interest rates being so low right now, you really want to keep as much capital available to invest in things that are going to yield you 8, 9, 10, 11, 12% return on your money versus prioritizing paying down interest of 3, 2, or 1%, whatever kind of you're getting on your current mortgage, right? So it's really, okay, can I keep all my mortgages on the longest amortization available? Can I then look at my regular loans? Maybe you have a student loan or can I negotiate that to have the lowest payment as possible, right? And then, you know, there's different things that you can do. Maybe you shelter your car payment in your corporation versus claiming it personally. You know, there's a lot of different avenues you can get as low as possible. That's something that a lot of people don't focus on. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtucker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Yeah, I think it's not a whole lot different in Canada, but tell us a little bit about uh, joint ventures and how they're structured and how to create win-win partnerships. I think there might be a little bit more flexibility in the United States, but take us through what goes on in Canada in conjunction with that. Yeah, so joint ventures are a great way to enter investing in real estate, both for people who have experience, but maybe just don't have the capital or don't have the borrowing power, right? And also for people who have the borrowing power, right? But maybe they have a really busy career they love. And they have a family they want to spend time with, and they don't really feel like driving two, three hours out to these investment markets to learn how to invest in real estate. So when it comes to joint venture partnerships, there's a lot of win-win opportunities that exist. The general structure is that you have a managing partner who manages the investment, you know, places the tenants, manages renovation, does the bookkeeping, does the ongoing maintenance. And then you have a money partner who's investing a down payment and borrowing for the mortgage. Now, the way we kind of set them up here in Canada is we usually have like a legal agreement on the side to outline the joint venture. And you know, the thing with these joint ventures is they're completely custom to whatever you want to do. So you can set it up where 
you know, the managing partner gets a management fee every month, or you can set it up where the managing partner isn't that experienced. So maybe they take a smaller cut of the pie than the financing partner in the early on, right? There's a lot of different ways to kind of spin these. But in Canada, I think it really depends on the purchase type you're doing. If you're doing a commercial venture, it's really easy just to open up a corporation and each go on title of that corporation. If you're doing a property where you're taking advantage of personal borrowing power, that might be a little bit different. You might have to do it in one person's name and then build out a trust agreement later based on the terms you negotiate. So it's a little bit case by case. I guess it would really just depend on the acquisition that you're doing. Well, what are some of the common mortgage mistakes that Canadians make? I think one of the biggest issues, and it's it's a much bigger thing here in Canada than it is in the US. One of the biggest ones is taking fixed rate mortgages. So in Canada, these fixed rate mortgages have very aggressive penalty structures. I don't think this quite exists the same way in the US. So in Canada, for example, I have a client where they have about three years left in their mortgage. The balance is about 800000 and they took a five-year fixed rate. And that penalty to break their mortgage is $43,000. So the penalties in Canada can be upwards of 4 to 4.5% of the balance if you break your fixed rate mortgage. So the banks will pump out these ideas that the fixed rates are very safe. You want the stability of a fixed rate, but really what they're doing is they're either keeping you for those five years of the term, or they're getting that large penalty revenue, which six of the 10 Canadians do break these five-year fixed mortgages because equity is going up, lifestyles changing, all this kind of stuff. Very common, you're going to adjust terms of these mortgages. So um, not going to the variable rate mortgage is definitely one of the biggest mortgage mistakes that people are making in Canada. Just to contrast that, $43,000 penalty. Had they been in a variable rate, it would have been a $4,000 penalty. So one-tenth the difference. And the problem with that is that, well, there's a clear cost issue. But even without the cost issue in mind, if that psychologically stops you from breaking that mortgage and psychologically stops you from accessing equity, there's an opportunity cost that's lost as well because you didn't take action in any other venture, which would have also paid you. right? So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. The other one we talked about earlier was getting too aggressive on your payment plans, prioritizing paying off these mortgages, definitely a big issue, right? The third thing as well is really buying properties that impact your borrowing power negatively. So, hey, you know, I bought this condo. I heard this market's going to appreciate. I break even or lose a bit of money every month, right? So the actual type of property you look to buy, that's a, that's a big thing as well, right? But those are, are really the common mortgage mistakes people are making. I think you know, a lot of these tie into investing mistakes or purchasing mistakes, right? And one of the big ones is definitely people buying the brand new car, buying the brand new car with the large loan payment that, you know, in Canada, it's something like a $400 car payment can wipe away $100,000 in mortgage qualification. So that's a big difference when you want to get a house. So even if you're just a regular first time buyer, get the house first, get the car second. You know That's not going to impact your car loan later if you really need that car. right? Or maybe you do what a lot of people do in the beginning. Go with a used vehicle for a few years until you know the money doesn't matter at a certain point because you worked your way there kind of thing. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much true here in the States as well. But let me understand this fixed rate mortgages that you're talking about here. It seems like it's different here in the United States in terms of fixed rate because fixed rates here in the United States are typically 15 or 30-year mortgages, and they're fixed for that entire time. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like when you're talking about fixed-rate mortgages in Canada, that they're going to have a shorter time frame. Is that correct? Yeah. So typically, what you're going to see is, a, is about pretty much a maximum of a five-year term. 
on this fixed rate. Now, your amortization of your mortgage can still be 25 or 30 years. But what happens at the end of that five years is the bank will then offer you renewal options and they'll say, hey, they're, here are the new fixed rates offerings or variable rates, pick what you like, or you have the option to shop at a different lender and go elsewhere at that point for no penalty at the end of your term. But five years is typically max. There are some banks that offer 10-year, extremely rare and extremely unpopular. The rates are much higher on the 10-year. You know, I just did a mortgage myself in the US. So it was a little bit of a different process. And I was looking at all these rates and I was just like, man, like I'm obviously taking the three-year because the rate's the lowest. But then at the same time, you know, that didn't seem like that was a popular option in, in the eyes of the person who was doing it to me. So, you know, different philosophies. I don't know as much about interest rate market in the US and things like that. But I recently bought a place in Florida and that's what I dealt with. So I took a three-year fix there. So we'll see if that ends up burning me or that ends up being a good thing. Who knows? Well, in the United States, they call those variable rate mortgages and they work differently than they are in the United States. I mean, in, in Canada. In the United States, if you get a variable rate mortgage, which, is, which it sounds like you do, it's going to be amortized over 30 years. And you're really locked into that mortgage, but your variable rate, generally in the United States, it's going to have a fixed rate in terms of when they can adjust that mortgage. But they're going to be able to adjust that mortgage at, at the end of whatever period of time that is. You're still locked into the 30-year mortgage, but they can raise that interest rate. There's, there's caps on how much they can raise those inter- interest rates at any particular time. Those used to be really popular here in the United States before before 2008. And in 2008, when everything went south here, they haven't been quite as popular because they caught a lot of people in situations where those mortgage rates were going up and the people didn't have a way out of those mortgages like they do in Canada. And so they were stuck with those mortgage rates, either that or sell the property, or they could refinance, but there's not an opportunity to stay with essentially that same mortgage and just and go with a different uh, rate there. You're pretty much stuck with it. So differences there in terms of that. But I'm surprised that Canada doesn't have that 15 and 30 uh, year rate fixed mortgages. Um, that That's a big difference, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly when you're getting a mortgage at, at 2%, and in five to 10 years, that could increase substantially, where in the United States, we can get those fixed for a good long time. And there's some things happening now too, where, you know, some people who are, I don't want to use the word like degenerate or delinquent on, maybe they have a mortgage with one institution. They also have a credit card, with that institution, a car payment, with that institution. And they, they go delinquent on some months in, on those other credit products. What happens is at the end of that five years, the renewal options they give them might be very different than what they normally off the market because they're trying to push that person out of the loan. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's not something where you hear that a lot, but it's starting to happen here and there a little bit up here. And we're probably going to see more of those kind of things when the market starts to soften here, which who knows when it's going to. Someday it will. <laughs> it always does. Well, we're running out of time here. So tell our viewers and listeners how they can get in touch with you. Best way to get in contact with me is on my Instagram. It's at Jacob Perez 10. So definitely reach out to me on Instagram. There's actually a button right in my profile where you can book a call directly with me. Whether you want to book an investment overview, you're a new mortgage agent, you want to book a coaching call. I've built a huge mortgage business in the last four years and can definitely help you with that. And then the final thing would be just to book a mortgage consultation if you want to start strategizing on investing in real estate. I love connecting with all different people there. 
even if you're another kind of content creator, you want to collaborate, there's definitely a lot of stuff we can talk about and probably learn from each other. So please reach out to me there and uh, we'd love to get to know any of the listeners. Sounds great. Well, one last question before we close this out here. Share with us one of your most difficult setbacks in life and how did you come through that time and what were the lessons you learned from that? Yeah, great question. I think that I've had a lot of little setbacks in my life, you know, not where I'm at now, everything's going really well. So sometimes it doesn't feel as significant as it did at the time. But I'll tell you, you know, I did a master's degree in data analytics, which is, you know, one of the most in-demand fields in, in Canada. You know, all these companies are collecting all this data, doing mathematical projections on them to kind of figure what clients and customers are going to do next. And, you know, I ended up joining this startup and this startup got about half a million dollars in funding right away. There was only about three or four of us. And we moved to a house on the beach in Florida and we were living that startup life. And within, you know, four months or so, this startup completely tanked and I had no job. We didn't make any money. And I was sitting there unemployed for the first time in my life. I had worked since I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. And real estate was always a passion of mine. I'd always been buying on the side. That was always the thing that kind of I liked to do outside of work. And from there, I just decided that I'm not going to try to work for anybody anymore, you know, whether it's tie myself to other companies or things like that. And this is when I led to starting a mortgage business. And, you know, at the time, that didn't sound as prestigious as being a consultant in the tech industry or things like that. You know, I looked at it as like, uh, you know, these real estate agents or mortgage, but they're so annoying, right? And, you know, it turns out that this has been like one of the funnest businesses I've ever worked in, you know, the amount of people you get to help. And then, you know, you're on the front lines of money all the time. And, you know, when you're when on the front lines of, you know, brokering money to people, you're meeting a lot of interesting individuals because usually anyone doing a big project needs outside funding. So I think whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever your job is, I think we all need to continue to strive towards more financial literacy. You know, what is the government doing with our money? You know, they're printing these trillion dollar bills. Like, you know, we need to understand what that is to understand the impacts to actually be able to have a real say in things and actually be able to articulate or speak intelligently on some things that are happening. You know, our emotions won't be as kind of triggered if we understand finance. I think that's that's definitely something that, you know, we all need to strive a bit more towards. But I would say, you know, sometimes the roughest moments are just making a bit of room for, you know, the best opportunities. And that was definitely the case for me. Yeah, that happens quite frequently. They don't feel very good at the time, but oftentimes they can be very very good learning opportunities. Well, Jacob, it has been a pleasure having you today. So thank you so much for sharing with us what goes on north of our border. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.